Last week, we heard about the stories of Jacob and Esau. For the next several weeks now, we're going to be looking at different parts of Jacob's story in particular, and we're going to be asking ourselves what wisdom his story has for us in our time. But first, a theologian on rocks and a personal story. A ninth century Irish theologian named Aragina said that every rock, every stone is full of light. It has the luminous presence of God in it. Now, I don't know about you, but that takes a little bit of stretch of my imagination. Seeing God in a beautiful flower or a sunset, sure, but a rock? Kind of makes me wonder if Aragina has ever tried digging a hole in rocky soil. I mean, you know, by the third time your shovel hits that solid rock and it rattles your bone, what's coming out of your mouth does not sound so holy. Not to mention that rocks are lifeless, right? They're, they're kind of empty. Even beautiful rocks like those in the Ozark streams down in southern Missouri, full of the luminous presence of God... Well, over the 4th of July weekend, I spent some time actually down in a rural part of Missouri's Ozarks with my family. And both afternoons that we were all together, we packed up our swim bags and we went to play and swim in one of the Ozark creeks down there. And if you've ever been in one of those, then you know how just about every Ozark creek is filled with thousands upon thousands of rocks. Now, our our family has been going to some of those streams as long as I can remember. In fact, the very first swim hole we went to that weekend was the same swimming hole that I have been going to since I was as young as Brand and Theo. The second swimming hole, on the other hand, was new for us, the one we went to on the second day, and I really enjoyed it. So all of us adults, all of us aunts and uncles were sitting there in the middle of this cold stream talking together while all the cousins were around us playing and splashing. And about an hour or so into our hanging out, my two brothers started reaching down into the water and picking up a rock and throwing these rocks at this concrete wall over on the bank, trying to see if they could get a rock into this big split in that concrete wall, this big open crevice. Now, I just watched because when it comes to throwing just about anything, whether it is a rock or a ball or a frisbee, I I seem to have some kind of disability. They always tend to go about 45 degrees or more off from where I am aiming but not so much with my brothers. So rock after rock, and even one of my nephews joined in, they started throwing until eventually my older brother decided to mix it up a little bit, and he started skipping stones across the water to see if he could get it to hop up and hit the wall. Now, if you ever, if you grew up playing in these creeks, then you probably know how to skip a rock. Even I 
<laughs> can skip rocks. You find some smooth stone that's flat on two sides and you sort of backhand it across the top of the water and you watch the rock skip across the surface one, maybe two, three, or even four times before it sinks. And what I realized this summer is that my older brother is still by far the best at it. It's really impressive, actually. Rock after rock, he would skip five, six, or seven times and even get them to sometimes jump back up on shore on the other side. And as our conversation continued and our afternoon continued, pretty soon he started skipping these rocks upstream into the rapids that were coming down at us. And this is how we spent a hot afternoon, summer in July. Three midlife brothers, each of us with our own worries and hopes and questions, hanging out in an Ozark stream, surrounded by our wives and kids and thousands upon thousands of rocks, watching the water make these rapids as it came down toward us, talking about nothing in particular, and yet somehow everything, picking up some of these rocks and throwing them and, and skipping them like we were all 30 years younger. It was the most ordinary scene, really, as ordinary and normal as a rock in, in an Ozark stream, and yet it was probably my favorite part of our short little vacation that had to get rearranged because of the pandemic. It was this beautiful and, and restful moment, and though I didn't realize it at the time, it was holy. And so it has me thinking that maybe Aragina was right. Maybe every rock is full of divine light and life. We just don't know it most of the time. Which brings us to Jacob, who picked up some ordinary stone in the middle of nowhere, and he laid his head down on this stone one night, and then he had the most illuminating dream. With his head resting on this rock, he had these images that came to him that night of this ladder that was connecting the physical and the spiritual, the creation itself with creator. It was connecting heaven and earth, and as he awoke, he realized that the place where he was laying was holy. It was a gateway into the realm of God, and I didn't know it, he said. And so then he picked up that stone that he had been laying his head on, and he set it up there as a visual reminder of the invisible. It was a way for him to mark what he had discovered. This is the house of God and I didn't know it. Well, this week, I've been thinking about all of the similarities between Jacob in this particular moment of his life and us in this moment of our lives. You see, this story actually comes early on in Jacob's story. It comes right as Jacob is fleeing home uh, after stealing Esau's birthright and their father's blessing, like we heard about last week. Jacob here is on the run, and now he is cut off from his family in some really profound ways. In other words, 
in this moment, Jacob is all alone. And not only was he cut off from his family, he's cut off from the home that he's known, the friends that he's known. He's cut off now from his way of life, and he is all alone. And I've been thinking about how this is one of the greatest sufferings that this global pandemic has brought us, isn't it? All of us have experienced it to some degree or another. We are cut off from one another, and we're cut off from our families, grandparents cut off from their grandkids, cut off from friends and neighbors and coworkers, cut off from one another in ways that we have never been before. And, and even us here at church, we are all feeling increasingly disconnected from one another, aren't we? And, and it's not just the adults, you know. I, I keep thinking about how hard this is on our kids, especially our teenagers and our, our young adults, our 20-somethings. There is this deep need in them for social interaction And yet, they were suddenly cut off from all their friends and teachers at the end of the school year, and now they're living through what's probably been the loneliest summer of their lives. And all of us, parents and teachers and kids and and administrators alike, we're all worried about how and if they can be together again this fall. There is a profound crisis of loneliness for our kids, just like there is for our shut-ins and just like there is for our neighbors and just like I know there is for so many of you, just like there was for Jacob, cut off now from everything he's known, running from home, sleeping out there in the open with a rock for a pillow, all alone. And maybe Jacob has felt alone for some time now. After all, he clearly didn't get along with his older brother and, or his twin brother, and he clearly didn't have much attention from his father. I kind of imagine that Jacob has felt a sort of loneliness for a long time, but it's amplified now because of this particular season in his life. His loneliness has been brought to a new acute level, and, and I don't know, but... I wonder if that's true for some of you as well. What I do know is is that we are all, to some degree or another, like Jacob in this moment. We are cut off from one another. The second parallel is that Jacob, like us, is afraid for his well-being. That's what brought him to this lonely point. Jacob's physical safety, his body, it was under threat from Esau, and so he's trying to save his skin. And to do that, he is out there alone just to stay alive. And of course, that's why we are isolated too, right? We're, we're trying to keep one another alive. We're trying to keep our safety. We're trying to protect one another. And, and all of that concern and that worry, that, that takes its toll on us. There can be a sort of soul-crushing worry about living in fear of our well-being and of our safety week after week. And of course, now the numbers in our area and across so much of the country, the numbers are just going up. And we know we're in more danger now than we were a month or two ago. 
And then maybe you wake up one day and you have a headache (laughs) or your throat starts itching or your muscles ache and you're not really sure if that was from working out in your yard yesterday or if maybe you should go get a test, right? There is a unique kind of exhaustion that comes from the uncertainty and the fear for our well-being And let me just chase a little rabbit trail for a moment and point out that this has been true for whole neighborhoods, whole zip codes in our city for a long time, way before the pandemic. Every day, they have lived with fear for their well-being. They live in fear of a stray bullet hitting them or, or one of their loved ones live in fear of the police even, fear of not being able to afford the medicine or food they need, fear of what might happen if one of their kids fell down and broke her arm. I think this pandemic is giving a lot of us a taste of what so many live with all the time. And and studies have actually shown that living with fear of your physical safety, it actually begins to do damage to your body. It inhibits children's brain development and learning. And the truth is the rest of us are just getting a small dose of what so many communities of color have had to live with simply because of the zip code they're born in. But I digress. The point here for us is that Jacob, like us, has reason to be concerned for his safety. And it takes a toll. It's also part of what's driving us to some lonely places with rocks for a pillow. There's one last parallel, though, that's worth noting, I I think. Jacob, like us, is facing some very unfutile uncertain times, a very uncertain future. Here at this moment, Jacob is actually supposed to travel about 400 miles to find his mom's relatives that he's probably never met. And the truth is he has no idea what will await him there or what kind of reception he will receive from them. Which is to say then that that Jacob's future is incredibly fuzzy at this point. And there's really nothing he can do about it. There's nothing he can figure out or plan for or make sense of. In fact, the only thing that he can actually do is to keep walking and to navigate the landscape of each day as it comes to him. That, of course, is exactly where we find ourselves, isn't it? It's probably been the most constant part of living in this pandemic. The future is just so nebulous in ways that we've never experienced before. I mean, we hoped things would get back to normal in a few months, but now that has come and gone, and and we still don't know how this year will unfold. Will there be school for our kids? And if not, how will we handle that? What will Thanksgiving or Christmas look like for our family this year? Will we, as a church, even be back together by Easter? Truth be told, we just don't know. Everything about our future is fuzzy right now. And so here we are, just like Jacob, 
doing our best to just put one foot in front of the other each day and to navigate the landscape of whatever this week brings us while there is this nagging concern about our safety and our well-being. We're also at the same time isolated in our homes or our apartments. We're cut off from one another. We're cut off from the life that we hoped to be living this year. We're cut off from our church, where we're used to connecting with God. And so, yeah, the, the rocks around us look pretty empty, don't they? And yet, it's in this very place where Jacob discovers the opposite. Surely God is in this place, and I didn't know it, he said. In this place that's so similar to the place we are in. It's there that Jacob actually discovers that heaven and earth, the physical and the spiritual, have become one. Surely God is here in this place, and I didn't know it. How about you? Do you know it? Do you know that this particular place that you are sitting in right now as you worship and listen, that this place that you spend so much of your time in these days, even cut off from so much, do you know that that place too is the gateway to heaven, that the Lord is there? Jacob didn't. But once he laid his head on a stone, he had this dream, and in that dream, he discovered something that he did not want to forget. And so he picked up that ordinary stone that he'd placed his head on, and he set it in a particular spot to help him remember. And so I've been thinking this week that maybe you and I should actually do the same. Since we can't gather together in this particular room, uh, this place where we are used to finding God, then maybe we need to mark whatever room or whatever strip of yard we are occupying these days. And so that's what I want to invite you to do today. Actually, this afternoon, after worship is over, before you go on to something else, I want to invite you to go get a stone of some kind. It can be small, it can be larger, but find some kind of ordinary stone and, and set it on a table or set it in your yard somewhere as this reminder that God is there with you. Put it somewhere actually where you will see it regularly so that as you're navigating these uncertain times and and as you begin to feel loneliness creep up in your soul, you can look over at that rock and remember, surely God is in this place. And to help really solidify that for you, I actually want to ask you to say that aloud with the stone in your hand or with your hand on top of the stone, wherever it will sit. Place it where it can be seen throughout this pandemic. And then put your hand on it, and say out loud the words that Jacob spoke in Genesis 28. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. This place, right here, 
right now where I am. This is none other than the house of God. Amen.